You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last week, we hope. Free agency, the tampering, non-tampering period, whatever you want to call it. It's not tampering anymore. The legal negotiating period came, and it was, uh, it's was. it been a crazy week. A lot of signings, a lot of trades. Aaron Rodgers came out of his shell a little bit and made an announcement, or maybe not an announcement, more of a recap and uh, almost like a breakup letter that he was sending to all the Packer fans and other people. But uh uh, anyway, we'll get to that in, in just a bit. We're joined by a player. We have a player interview coming up right now. He's a wide receiver from the Northwestern Wildcats most recently. Number 80 in your program. Number one in your heart. From Napier, Illinois, Donnie DeVaro third. Donnie, welcome to Pros Like Us, man. How you doing? Good. Really good. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Great. Great to hear from you. You guys just had your pro day. Where, where did you train for it? What did you do leading up to the pro day? So I trained with uh, TC Boost. It's with uh, Tommy Christian. Tommy is a um, Northwestern grad as well. And so we've kind of had, you know, some conversations throughout the season. And a lot of people spoke really high of him. And so I had a couple of conversations with Tommy and uh, we put a plan together. It was about a nine week plan. Yeah, it was really good. He's got a great staff. Uh, facilities are great. Happened to work out really well. I was in Evanston and he was in uh, Northbrook, so really, really easy transportation there. And I had a great experience with them. I think we really broke things down um, from a technique standpoint. It's funny because you have eight weeks, right? But you're covering a lot of bases in eight weeks, right? You're you're trying to help yourself out in the forty. You're trying to you know make gains in the in the short shuttle, the three cone, the jumps, and everything bench. You know, so you know we worked with a sense of urgency, and I, and I think we did a great job putting together a plan and executing that. So what were the uh, the official measurables? For the shuttle, I've got 405. For the three cone, I've got 683. Uh, bench press, I've got uh, 14 reps. Broad was 9 foot 9. Let's see, vert was 36 and a half. So uh, this is a loaded question, but were you happy with those? And if not, uh, you know, which one do you feel like you could have done a little bit better? Or did something surprise you? So I was really content with my change direction numbers. I think that speaks to what type of player I am. I'm a guy that can play the outside receiver and the inside receiver. I've been throughout my career, I've been demanded to do a lot as far as, okay, we're going to put you in the slot. We're going to play you outside based on injuries, based on game plan and matchups, things like that. So my ability to get in and out of breaks, my ability to um, run precise routes, to get off press coverage, and find zones and be and be you know subtle uh, speaks to my times and the change direction. You must be really happy. I mean, the short shuttle time is very good. The three cone is is excellent. I mean, you must be happy. Absolutely. With those. I mean, absolutely. I think um, coming out of that, I was extremely excited. You know, it's something that I think is going to you know help me here over the next month. And it's just like again, it plays in my skill set and the type of player that I am. What was your height and weight? So I was five ten, one eighty two. So, I mean, you look like a slot receiver in that regard in the NFL. Playing the slot, I, you know, you can stick me outside if you want to motion me, move me around 100%. I can function out there. I've got film on it. I've got, you know, experience out there. But I think I do 
work really well in the slot. How has football in general like shaped your life from the younger age to high school and to college? This question comes up a lot, and I think about it a lot. And I think from a personality trait, from building your overall self, building you know, the best version of yourself possible. And I think football, the sport of football, has kind of put me through a lot of experiences. It's it's helped me gain a work ethic. I've kind of had a, a weird path through college, but it's shaped me into the guy that I am and, and shaped me into somebody that I'm a risk taker. You know, I'm, I'm somebody that's willing to do whatever it takes to, to succeed. Really good locker room guy, really good teammate. And um, it's benefited me as I've continued to grow and, and as I continue to try for the NFL. You know, we'll go back a little bit uh, coming out of high school, put up good numbers there, a great athlete, and uh, you ended up at Valpo. Valparaiso, for those that don't know the nickname, but uh, being from Napier, Illinois, I mean, it's, it's sort of in the neighborhood, but you're in Indiana. How did you choose Valpo at that point? Valpo was, at the time, I only Division One offer. So I came out, really had really good conversations with the coaches at Valparaiso. I accepted that offer. Yeah, so I went there uh, 2017, I believe, yeah, 2017, and had a lot of success at Valpo. You know, coming out first game of the year, you know, I think it was my first college play. I ended up catching like a 60-yard bomb and then later scoring in a 40-yard bomb the next, you know, or 30, whatever it was. So I had a really good experience at Valpo. Because of that success that I had, I, I always had a dream to play at the, at the you know, highest level possible. I knew I had the potential. I knew I had the work ethic. I knew I was willing to do anything and everything that it, that it took to get to that, to that point. And so I, I took that risk. So that's how you wound up at Illinois. You you went back to your home state, and what made it a special place for you? You spent one season at Valpo, and then obviously you transferred to Illinois. I think when I was growing up and, and in high school, Illinois was always kind of the dream school at the time. I you know, you know, watching guys that I knew that played there, and just watching them, and it just you know, I, I could always see myself being there. And then, you know, once I was there, I had to do that, uh, what they used to call the, the year of residency when the kind of the portal didn't exist. And so I kind of used that year as a learning year to kind of, you know, adjust to Big Ten football. I was going against a Division One Big Ten defense every every day. You know, I was able to work on my craft, get my body right, uh, and kind of adjust. And then leading into 2019, um, I thought I was really prepared. And, and so when I got my opportunities, I was able to, you know, take those and run with them and, and do really good things there. And ultimately be a contributor. That's kind of my path into Illinois, uh, the success I had there. I'm proud of my success, and I think I, I did everything I could there. was a contributor, you know, special teams, offense. Kind of my, my springboard into, into where I kind of felt like I, you know, belonged was that 2019 game against Wisconsin, uh, number six team in the country. At the time during the season, I don't remember, I think it was maybe the eighth game of the year, seventh or eighth, but they hadn't given up. A score in the first half to any team. I ended up catching a 48-yard touchdown slant route, split two defenders, and took it, you know, the distance. And that kind of springboarded into, you know, more opportunities. Right now, the coaching staff has a lot of confidence in me. You know, I end up uh, that we end, uh, that year we end up going to the the Red Box Bowl. I lead the team in receiving that game, and so I, I was a, kind of a major contributor in that year and and throughout Illinois. So you played for Lovey Smith there. What, how did he impact your life, your football journey? What, what did he mean to you? Coach Lovey means a lot. We developed a really good relationship. Uh, we had a lot of meetings because he knew that I wanted to be a major contributor here. So it, it, it kind of that, that one year that I had to sit out one year, 
because of the year of residency. That was tough because I knew I had the skill to even contribute that year, but I, you know, obviously I couldn't, right? But, you know, a lot of meetings are just kind of staying patient, trust the process. Um, and halfway through 2019, he, you know, awarded me a full scholarship after initially being a walk-on. That was a really, really big impact. And I, you know, to this day, you know, think about and thank love coach Lovey for, for that. So yeah, really good relationship with coach. What was that day like? Do you, do you remember? Can you kind of give us some of the, the feel of that day? Yeah, no, we were sitting in a team meeting and uh, I want to say we just beat Rutgers. And again, I think I had led the team in receiving that game. And, you know, I, I really wasn't expecting anything yet at the time. We're in the middle of the season. We're in a, in a, in a phase here where we're trying to make a bowl game. We're trying to, you know, win six, seven games. And we're sitting in a team reading room, and he's kind of going through his spiel. And he's kind of saying, I think he said, you know, a lot of good guys are doing good things here. And he says, like Diane Navarro. And then he says, how about full scholarship? And just a range of emotions from there. I mean, everyone was, you know, really excited for me and my teammates. I actually remember calling my dad, you know, very close to my dad. And he, at the time, was working and couldn't answer. So I called my mom and I kind of, you know, got really emotional talking to my mom. My mom was emotional on the other line. Just a great moment from the path that I took coming from Valpo to Illinois and, and doing what I did there was, you know, just a really good moment. And then obviously I finally got a hold of my dad and that was probably a little bit more emotional than anyone else just because he's been there, you know, uh, throughout my career and definitely a really good moment. Donnie, what would you say is your best trait on and off the field? So I would say my best trait on the field, I would say that I am um, a really good route runner. Kind of wraps everything together. It wraps in my ability to be flexible on inside and outside, to react to different coverages, to have some, some creativity, um, to be crafty, and to be quarterback friendly. So I think on the field, I would say that. Off the field, I think – my best trait is just my approach, my preparation, and mindset. I think you put those three together, and I've, I've kind of came up with a formula on how to prepare, how to approach things, and that's really benefited me. I always talk to people, and I say, in my opinion, and, and other people would agree too, being good at something, you have to obsess over it 24-7, and that's, that's kind of what I, what I do in the film room, nutritionally, when you're in the building – taking advantage of every opportunity, taking advantage of every, anything, any resources that can help you. So I would say that. Why did you eventually make the move to Northwestern? It had to, uh, you know, a lot to do with just offensive scheme where that direction was headed. Just looking a little bit more for a better fit. And so I, you know, went into the portal and had a lot of really, really good conversations in Northwestern kind of laid it out in front of me of, okay, this is our scheme. This is how we're going to use it. This is how we see you. That really attracted, you know, me. And, and, and that's ultimately why I made that decision. So you've played for a couple of great and very unique coaches, Donnie. What would you say makes Pat Fitzgerald, your head coach there at Northwestern, unique? Yeah, I, you know, Coach Fitzgerald is somebody I really connected with easily um, from the get-go. I mean, He's a very personable guy. He's someone you can go to for anything. He, he, you know, understands the student athlete life. He lived it, him being at Northwestern and him having the experience that he's had at Northwestern. He's been there for a long time. 
he's very good at relating to the players. He's good at understanding the kind of the student athlete life, teaching guys how to prepare, teaching mindset, teaching approach. You know, you listen to him talk in meetings, you know, it amazes me every time. Um, you come out of that meeting learning something new. A lot of really good things to say about Coach Fitzgerald from, you know, the start when I, when I was getting recruited to, to the end of the, even the pro day. I mean, you need to help with him if, if you're, you know, demand something. He, he will help you. He will find the right people to help you. How difficult was this season just in general for you personally? I mean, you guys only had one win. It's a tough way to go out. What did you learn about yourself? Yeah, you know, I think it was important for us throughout the year as a team to stay together. We prepared the same way we would, you know, as if we were, you know, 10 and 0. Nobody was turning on each other in the locker room. And I think it was still, we still were out there every game doing everything we could to win every game. And, and that's what it was. We were preparing, we were watching the film, we were doing the extra things. You know, there was always a, mo- a moment that I remember we were, you know, coming back in on a Sunday in our lift, our post game lift. And maybe eight or nine games down, I don't remember what it was, but guys are still trying to hit PRs. You guys are still trying to um, do whatever it takes to win. So it doesn't matter what happened. This is in football. This is in life. You may get knocked down however many times, but it's about how many times you get back, back up, right? So I think that's what I learned. I think, you know, for myself, I always tell people, you know, the film will will, will do it justice as well, is that I thought as a receiver, as far as uh, getting open, as far as understanding the game, as far as uh, – to play in other spots, slot outside, I thought I had my best year. Maybe not numbers-wise, but as a receiver, I was the best receiver I've been um, in my career. Yes, some of the numbers that I had, some of the impressive catches, some of the impressive routes that I ran, but just, okay, you know, there's probably times where I didn't get the ball. Okay, how open was this guy, right? What did he do on this route? And there's countless times where I could pull out on film where I'm running free or I have a good route here or – I'm making a good block or, or things like that. You have, I guess, the perspective of playing at two different Big Ten schools, let's say. So as far as that conference is concerned, what really stands out? What can you say uh, if you got on, on the soapbox for the Big Ten? What would you say to a kid that's looking at schools around the country? Yeah, I think you're going to get everything you want out of the Big Ten. You're playing against the best every week. There's no easy wins in the Big Ten. It is a competitive game every single week. You're going against the best of the best every week, you know, um, and you're going to get opportunities to do whatever you want after after football is over or with football. You think about the amount of guys that are in the NFL that are from the Big Ten. There's a good amount of guys. I mean, at every position, right? All right. I mean, academic, all Big Ten, Donnie football. There's a, a quote that he brings an edge to Northwestern. I mean, all these different accolades, but the, let's get down to brass tacks here. I, I think you have some very unusual takes on food. What do you think is your most unusual take on what you put in your body? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I'm a nutrition freak, that's for sure. So, I mean, as far as unusual takes to me, are they unusual? I don't know. <laughs> to, to other people, okay, maybe they're unusual, but I, I just – you know, I found a, a, a formula, I found a, a routine that I've stuck with that has really just helped me to stay healthy, me to get as much physical ability, mental ability um, that I can get out of myself, you know, gains in the in the, the off season, gains during the season. And that all plays a part. It does. Everything matters to me. That's benefited me. I think it's given me an edge. So I don't think there's anything unusual about it, but <laughs> um, 
off the top of my head, I couldn't say anything unusual. I mean, I is there anything guess, you won't eat that most of your pals swear by? I think I'd stay away from the fried foods. That's something I kind of you know stay away from that more. You know, grilled chicken. I'd say maybe what's unusual is I probably eat the same things every single day. Dinner switches up every three days or something like that. But yeah, fried foods away from the desserts definitely gotta stay away from. High fat foods, things like that. Spoken like a true Big Ten graduate. Here he is, wide receiver Donnie Navarro the third. Uh, Donnie will give you a few minutes here if you'd like to uh, plug your uh, social media handles. If you're, you know, involved in any groups or charities you want to you want to plug, go right ahead. Yeah, I'm on uh, Instagram, Twitter, Donnie Navarro twenty four. Uh, definitely give me a follow there. All right, very good. We wish you the best of luck the rest of the way here leading up to draft season, Donnie, and uh, we'll be looking for you. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for the time. So, free agency. Alex, what stood out to you early on? What move kind of got you thinking, huh, wow? I was surprised that Darren Waller got moved like a few days after he got married to his wife, who is – a WNBA basketball player, and she plays for, for the Vegas team. I was surprised by that. And my favorite head coach, I'm not even going to say his name. I just think, you know, he's trying to get rid of everybody that he didn't bring in and trying to do a revolution. It's going to backfire on him, obviously. You know, McDaniels, it always backfires on him. But he's getting rid of some good players, you know. Got rid of Derek Carr. He brought in Jimmy G. He got rid of Darren Waller. He brought in Jacoby Myers. That makes me think that Hunter Renfro is also expandable out there. So Josh McDaniels is doing the regular things that he always does, and it's going to blow up in his face. I think the best move, to be honest with you, was the the Miami Dolphins trading for Jalen Ramsey. I I don't applaud them. Like They gave up a third-round pick, and he's still one of the best corners in this league. It's not just, you know, on paper he's the best corner. He's still the best corner on... On the field. And I understand what the Rams are doing. They're getting rid of sal- of the salary. They're going through the rebuild. I think they need to get more picks. They need to sign some people on the offensive side of the ball. Because I think McVay wants to be more explosive on that side of the ball. But the Dolphins. I mean, they got Xavier Howard. Now they have Jalen Ramsey. Their defense was good last year. And they're going to continue to be that way. So... The Dolphins got better as a result of this move because Jalen Ramsey, you know, shuts down the the number one wide receivers. He again, he might not be the same player that he was a couple of years ago, but he he's gonna have a chip on his shoulder. He's gonna go there to South Beach, the return to the state of Florida, where he played college at Florida State. I, I think that's gonna be a great fit there. Well, whenever you know, one of the top five at his position and again you know the jury's out i mean do, do people think that he's regressed or whatever maybe it was the way the rams were using him in so many different places that you didn't see him just hey i'm gonna line up against this team's best receiver and lock him down so fangio system may be a little bit more to his liking so again the other side of the trade it's it's not always the i guess the compensation is what it, what it means to the salary cap and you mentioned it you know the rams you know, don't have a lot of draft capital. Uh, they're overpaid for these guys, but hey, they got their Super Bowl and now they got to figure out, okay, where do we go from here? 
like a lot of, I mean, it's becoming, and again, I've been talking about this for like the last couple of years, I think, but more that, that NBA mentality is where we're kind of change our team on the fly and, and see, see how it goes. Now, basketball, I think it's a little easier to do because it's only five guys on the court. There's only 12 or 15 guys on the team and it's more of a, you know, continuous action sport and everybody's kind of playing, you know, the same position or it's positionless for the most part. But, you know, in football, hey, that salary cap is real. And at a certain point, you do have to pay the piper. Although Howie Roseman's trying to prove everybody wrong, where he's bringing back half, half the guys we thought they were going to lose. But we won't talk about all of them, but the one guy they did lose and, you know, maybe the top free agent of this group, Javon Hargrave. And of course, he goes to where they probably already have one of the best defensive lines in football and you're San Francisco 49ers. How did you feel about that one? I was ecstatic. I mean, I realized that John Lynch values those guys up front on the offensive line, on the defensive line. He realizes that the game is won in the trenches. He's always drafted those guys. He, he loves drafting those defensive linemen in the first round. That's always been his M.O., now he signs the top guy in free agency to go along with the guys that they already have, Lou. I mean, that's going to be lethal. How are you going to hang with that defensive line? You know, Javon Hargrave, Nick Bosa. I mean, it's just like they're going to be beasts out there. They're going to be eating those quarterbacks for breakfast, you know, in this division in the NFC West. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a fantastic move for the 49ers. And I'm just, yeah, I was, I was jumping up and down when I heard the news. And again, I, I mentioned at the top of the show, like about Darren Waller and why the Raiders got rid of him. But I like the move for the Giants. I mean, the Giants secure themselves a weapon for Daniel Jones, who loves throwing, who loves to throw to tight ends and running backs. And they get him, they finally get him a weapon. In the passing game, because I mean, you can't throw to Saquon forever. So I thought that was a great move. And Waller will definitely help like on those third downs and in the red zone as well. And if there was any question in Denver, who's running the show? Uh, I think these first couple of days of free agency tell you that their superstar coach is is kind of I think driving the bus here. And they're spending that Walmart money like uh like Walmart money, I guess there's no other comparison for that. But, uh, you know, Mike McGlinchey, you know, obviously one comes into San Francisco, one goes out, they lose Mike McGlinchey, the right tackle and Denver paid him a lot of cash. I think 50 million guaranteed the 87.5. Again, the, the total numbers are probably going to be inflated. Look at the guaranteed money. But anyway, you know, McGlinchey goes out, but I want to talk right now, Alex, my, Arguably my favorite move of this entire thing is San Francisco signing a quarterback. That's right. Sam Darnold coming to the Niners. Alex, the floor is yours. Well, Sam Darnold can, will probably become a Pro Bowl quarterback this year uh, based on where he's going right now. I guess you can pencil in any quarterback that plays in the Kyle Shanahan system to probably have a good year if he gets that chance on the football field. Well, let's look at this. We don't know what's going to happen with Brock Purdy. He still hasn't had surgery. Then Trey Lance is coming back. I mean, Sam Darnold isn't penciled in as the starter, but 
if we don't see any progression from Trey Lance and Brock Purdy during the summer, Sam Darnold is going to be taking those first team reps. And if he looks good in that system, which I know he will, because in the last like five or six games when he got his starting job back with the Carolina Panthers, he played well. Can you imagine what he can do in Kyle Shanahan's system? I mean, Sam Darnold can resurrect his career as far as I'm concerned. So this is a good move for the 49ers. You know, Jimmy G is no longer there. You get insurance, you know, of a quarterback, of a backup quarterback who was, you know, a number three overall pick. I, I want to say veteran quarterback, but he's 25 years old, Lou. I mean, it's almost like Sam Darnold has been in this league forever. Again, I want to say that the 49ers added a veteran quarterback, and he's not a veteran. I mean, he's been in this league for, what, like four years or something like that. He's 25. He still has some football ahead of him, and he's, he's going to the right team. So I'm glad that you're praising all the 49ers moves. I mean, that's... Yeah, just, absolutely. Yeah, I'm patting you on like the back the, for that. But they're like dog years, right? I mean, he, he and Juju, both coming out of USC, you know, not at the exact same time, but, I mean, guys that have just been in the league, which seems like forever, but they're both still in their mid-20s. And... Uh, Speaking of Juju, he, he got his money from the Patriots. And that's, that just seems so interesting to me that you've got this just crazy personality. Uh, and I mean that in the most loving way of Juju and, and his, and his uh, social media presence and everything that he does. And he kind of reined it in right this year when he was in Kansas City for the most part until we got to the playoffs. And then he really started talking some smack, you know, going back and forth with the Bengals. But now he gets his money. It's a three-year deal, which I don't know that the Chiefs were willing. And it was probably more the upfront money that the Chiefs weren't willing to go to. Juju and Bill Belichick. I, I, this is worth the price of admission. I, I can't wait. Uh, but just some general observations. I mean, the first couple of days, what you saw is a lot of defensive linemen, offensive linemen getting getting their money, getting paid. You really didn't see much in the way of offensive players with, of, of any note that first day, that Monday. And then Tuesday, you know, it starts to trickle a little bit. Uh, Jimmy G's deal comes out, and, and we'll hit on that in a little bit. But uh, and And then, you know, the wide receiver market, I just mentioned Juju, he and Jacoby Myers, really the only ones, I mean, like three years, 33 million. That's, I think that's kind of the deal for these guys. So you still got a bunch of speed guys waiting in the wings, but I'm guessing those are all going to be like one year deals, prove it deals to their, the teams that they go to. Uh, but one other point I wanted to make was an off-the-ball linebacker. Uh, we mentioned him coming into this, that Tremaine Edmonds might be a guy that gets paid. But again, at a position where, not that it's devalued, but I think it's gotten to the point where it was being devalued. But now, if you can cover and stay on the field, now I think now it's becoming a value position. And Tremaine Edmonds cashed in four years, $72 million, 50 guaranteed from the Bears who parted ways at the beginning of the year with Roquan Smith. So maybe just a personality thing. I, I wanted to ask you directly about that one, uh, Alex. Roquan Smith out, Tremaine Edmonds in. Is it just a philosophical thing, or do you think it was personality? I mean, it just seemed like a strange thing for them to do. Yeah, that doesn't make sense to me. I mean, Tremaine Edmonds is a very good player. 
I mean, ever since he's been in this league, and he's only 24 years old, by the way, during his five seasons, he's always been over 100-plus tackles for the Buffalo Bills. But I don't get that one. Like, Tremaine Edmonds and Roquan Smith were the same player to me, except that Tremaine Edmonds is, you know, bigger uh, in terms of his height and, you know, stronger, bigger in terms of his weight. I don't understand that one. I guess it's just a fit thing. I guess he just, the Bears weren't willing to give him a big-time contract because they didn't feel that he would be their, you know, quarterback of the defense. But they do feel that Tremaine Edmonds is that guy based on the contract that they gave him. So uh, I would probably say you're right. It's probably a personality thing. And I think, you know, Roquan Smith, there were some whispers out there behind closed doors before. And I guess the Bears just didn't feel comfortable spending so much cash on him. Another one that was somewhat in the same vein, but uh, the Lions go out and they kind of poach, not poach, he's a free agent, David Montgomery from the Bears and let Jamal Williams walk. And it's not like they went, you know, broke the bank for, for Montgomery, three years, 18 million, 11 guaranteed, but it was a significant better deal than Jamal Williams ends up getting from the Saints, which you've got Alan Kamara there. There is some uh, question with his legal issues still dating back to uh, two years ago, the the whole Pro Bowl thing. So we'll see what happens with him. But that one kind of, again, making me scratch my head a little bit. Montgomery's a little younger, maybe. I, it seemed like Jamal Williams was such a great fit. I like David Montgomery, and I just think that... They, I like him, too. I yeah, like I him. More, just, it's more of a Jamal Williams question. Montgomery's 25 years old. He's young. I think, you know, you can catch the ball out of the backfield. He's a hard runner. And, you know, the Lions obviously have played the Bears in the same division, so they've scouted him quite a bit. I guess they felt comfortable with him, and now they can pair him up with DeAndre Swift, who is more of a lightning, you know, smaller back with more of a receiving back, and Montgomery is more of a, a goal line type of guy. And I also like the Carolina Panthers adding Miles Sanders. I just think that that was a great move. He's 25 years old. He's a Pro Bowl running back. He's had good years with the Philadelphia Eagles. He's going to be their workhorse for the next couple of years. I know that the Panthers are going to add a quarterback in the first round. There's no doubt about it. And I just think, you know, getting a running back, obviously got the draft picks for Christian McCaffrey. Now they got Miles Sanders here. He's going to be their, their go-to guy. They're, they're going to try to establish the run game under Frank Reich. Again, it seems like they, they certainly have a plan, obviously. And, and again, I think this happened you know, after we recorded last week's show was the, the big trade. I mean, that's kind of like the elephant in the room here. Carolina traded up to the first pick. I'm sure everybody knows that by now. But just obviously they're going all in on one of these quarterbacks, you know, trying to build that offense around him. Now, they did have to give up DJ Moore, but they do have that that number one pick. And they, I, they're just tired, I think, of going through all these – you know, veterans and Baker and Sam and, you know, whoever else that they'll, they'll throw in there. Nobody seemed to take the reins. So that's going to be coming up. And we'll talk about that in the coming weeks because uh, they'll be choosing from among those four quarterbacks. 
I'm guessing among two, and they may or may not have made that decision already. But anyway, I uh, just wanted to mention that as, as we move forward. Uh, a few guys that haven't been signed yet. And I guess the, the biggest name and one that we thought might get paid right away was C.J. Gardner-Johnson uh, for Philadelphia. Now, Howie Roseman has done an amazing job bringing a lot of guys back. Uh, we thought Slay was gone, and later in the, somehow they fit him under the cap, and and he's staying. So maybe you can work some more magic and keep him, but Bobby Wagner, Beckham, OBJ is still out there. And there's still some other names, but anybody out there that, that you thought may have had some value that's still kind of lingering? I'm surprised Dalton Schultz hasn't been signed by somebody. Yep. Uh, yeah. I think a guy that, you know, he caught 57 balls for, you know, nearly 600 yards and five touchdowns. I mean, he's shown throughout his career that he can be a, a pretty good blocker out there. I thought he would, somebody would jump on that. But I guess, I mean, he's still making the rounds. So I think Dalton Schultz is going to command the same salary as like Dawson Knox. I think at least like $13 million. He could be a weapon for somebody. Um, in terms of, you know, I want to see what happens with OBJ, obviously, just like you. Stephon Gilmore, you know, the Cowboys added him. They brought him in. They're going to pair him up with Trayvon Diggs in that Dan Quinn's defense. That's going to be interesting to see. I mean, those two corners kind of working off each other. I think, you know, Stephon Gilmore kind of resurrected his career this past season. Um, hopefully, in that defense, he's going to be able to bring some some value to the Cowboys. Yeah, I mean, they said that evidently he did have some surgery to clean up a meniscus that was bothering him uh, in the previous offseason. And because the idea, oh, geez, you know, he looked not washed, but he just doesn't look himself. And I guess it hadn't been publicized much before that. And it's made, made a huge difference. But you know, the Colts are willing to move on for a fifth round pick. And uh, here we go. But, uh, yeah, some, some other guys, I mean, again, it's just weird, you know, because, you know, you look at these different lists or in your mind, you kind of put these lists together and you think, well, why isn't this guy signed? And there could be any number of things. And a lot of times it's just the market or you just want to take your time if you don't get, I guess, the initial offers. And I think Dalton Schultz might be in that, in that vein, whereas the tight ends, I think, right now, I think, Kelsey and Kittle are at the top of the market around 14 or $15 million. And I think you mentioned Knox and so forth. Maybe those offers aren't even close to that. And maybe what he was thinking was a lot more. And, you know, now he's going to kind of second guess. And maybe the, the Cowboys are trying to, trying to get him back in the fold. Uh, one of the offensive linemen from Philadelphia, Isaac Somalo, you thought, you know, Ciamalo, he might be, you know, ready to move on and he's still lingering there. So, I don't know what it is. The city of brotherly love. These guys <laughs> want to stay there. They like what's going on. So maybe, uh, you know, it's not, it's not just Howie Roseman's uh, approach to playing with the salary cap, but it also has to do with the, the city, the culture that uh, Nick Sirianni has built. And, hey, they just went to a Super Bowl, but they got to be sitting there th thinking they got to lay out an offer. I think this uh, sometime this summer to uh, – to their quarterback, Jalen Hurts, right? I mean, and it's going to be, it's going to be huge. And then, you know, talk about other elephants in the room is, you know, Lamar Jackson. Yeah. I guess we could do like 20 minutes on this, but just right now it, it was just, 
at four o'clock, I believe yesterday was the first time anybody could extend an offer sheet to Lamar. We talked about this last week where it just, everything was sounding like, you know, everybody was, the teams were kind of putting the, pulling themselves out before there was even, you know, really before free agency came is like the, the tag goes on him and it was non-exclusive and all of a sudden reports all over the league. Well, we're not, you know, they're not interested. They're not actually like all these teams aren't interested. Well, let's see, you know, who's really interested now, because if you're sitting there like, you know, the Indianapolis Colts sitting there at number four and all of a sudden Stroud goes, uh, you know, the top, all the top quarterbacks go and you're sitting there facing, you know, is it Anthony Richardson? Is it uh, Will Levis? Are you really willing to bet that they're going to be as good or better than Lamar Jackson? The other piece of it as well as you have to consider is, okay, we have to run a certain style of offense. Is that okay? Or is, is he shown as Lamar shown enough that he can play within the offense we're going to run here, meaning Steichen's offense. So a lot, a lot of intrigue around Lamar, and the fact that he doesn't have an agent again, not a huge deal, but like, who are they, who are these teams contacting when they want to get some information? Now Lamar has, done a few tweets here and there kind of giving you a lay of the land like three years 133 million fully guaranteed wasn't quite enough so maybe that's the floor for these teams but uh yeah i would think you know would, would indianapolis be one of those teams you would think but again there's some other factors here and hey they're building a new organization new team maybe they maybe they've got their sights set on one of these young guys but again those top 2 are going to be gone if you believe that carolina for sure houston you got to believe they're going to take a quarterback so um a lot going on here but do you feel strongly about one team making a move for lamar it's not going to be an afc team okay the ravens aren't trading lamar jackson to an afc team Stop the presses. If they're going to trade him, they're going to trade him to an NFC team. That's it. That's where he's going to go. They don't want to face. So you guy. don't. You don't. So you don't think they would just not match it. You, you're thinking they're going to do like a sign and trade. I think that's what's going to happen. I think that's what's going to happen. Yeah. I think it's going to happen closer to the draft. I just think that that that's it. The the marriage is over. That you can't fix this. I, I don't think. Lamar wants to go back, and I think the Ravens are kind of sick and tired of this. They, they, they wish that he just hired an agent, and he won't, and they, they can't get it done. So I think he is. this is going to be negotiating with some other team, and then they'll just sign him, and that team will trade for him. I, I think that's what's going to happen, Will. Okay, and speaking of marriages coming to an end... Uh, just this whole drama with, with Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. And it just seemed, he went on Pat McAfee shows yesterday and I'm sure everybody listened by the time you listen to this, everybody will have known and heard what he said. But I guess the, the gist of it is, is that he went into his darkness retreat at 90%. He was going to retire. Now, again, this is him speaking, so I, I got to believe this is what he was feeling. And he's been pretty forthright and goes out of his way to be forthright with who anyone who will listen. So, okay, that's cool. But it was almost like 
when he came out learning about all these sound bites and kind of the noise that was coming out of Packers camp and his teammates kind of would texting him and so forth, letting him know kind of what the deal was that he got the sense that the Packers were done with him. So I think it seems like at that point, he kind of said, Hey, I'm going to try to work out for a week, see if I still want to do this. And damn it, I'm going to show these guys and comes out and says, Hey, I'm not breaking news or whatever. It was last Friday. The decision was made. Everybody knew transparency. He's all about that and was kind of pissed that the Packers didn't just, Hey, tell him at the beginning of free agency, we're ready to move on to Jordan love. Here's some of the, some of the things we'd like from you. What would you like to see from us? You know, just make it kind of a, Hey, Let's do things, sit across the table, sit next to each other, however you want to say it. Maybe the Jets are getting a completely reinvigorated Aaron Rodgers, and uh, let's see where this goes. So we're just – the Packers are on the clock now, and they're in no hurry. The way the the contract is structured, they can wait as – I mean, all the way up, I think, until like preseason or maybe even right before the season starts in terms of some of the money kicking in for Aaron. So – I don't know that it's going to go that far. It probably won't, but maybe they're just trying to squeeze a little bit more out of the Jets here because the Jets are kind of in a no, I don't want to say no win, but they're kind of backed into a corner. The Jets have to make this move. The Aaron Rodgers that we heard in the Pat McAfee show is the one that I want being the quarterback for my team, running the show, because he sounds motivated. He sounds like a guy that has a chip on his shoulder that wants to prove to the entire world that, hey, this villain still has something left to prove, and he can lead the Jets to the playoffs. Nathaniel Hackett is there. He's his offensive coordinator. They bring in Alan Lazard. They're doing everything possible to court him. They're like, you know, building the team and saying, Aaron, we're bringing all the people you like. So this is a done deal. I mean, I can't imagine like anybody else pulling off this move. This is it. The Packers are done. The Jets need a quarterback. They're finally going to get one. And he sounds like he still has something left in the tank, at least for this year. And I think that's that's going to motivate him. And again, that's the Aaron Rodgers that I want to see running the show there in New York. This villain, you know, and he wants to stick it to the Packers, kind of in the same way that Brett Favre wanted to prove to the Packers that he still had something left. So, you know, we talked about it a few weeks ago. Aaron Rodgers can't escape the shadow of Brett Favre. Well, you damn right. He's following him to the New York Jets. Right. So the Vikings should be on alert either the following season or maybe the year after that, that uh, he'll be ready to make that move, too. But, yeah, I mean, it's just absolutely the jet i mean is from the jets perspective the deal is done it's just right now green bay is kind of in a position that they don't don't have to wait so that it's just hey you know we're going to try to get as much as we can and at a certain point it'll just be like you know what let's just get it over with you know maybe they they may not be offering that number 13 pick or they maybe that's what green bay is asking for and the jets are saying wait a second we're paying all this money we're taking them off your hands basically uh second round pick 
or a, a conditional third, or if he plays two years, it becomes a second, you know, whatever they, they're going to make this happen. So it just be a, a matter of time. So, but it's just interesting to see, okay, which, which one is going to blink? Who's going to blink first? I don't know what else the, you know, the, the, the Packers are going to do. I mean, they, I don't think they can turn away from the table. Certainly the jets can't turn away from the table. So uh, we all sit here and wait and, and, it, and it's great as far as, uh, as far as Aaron's concerned, this is just great. More fodder for him to kind of keep stacking chips on that shoulder to come in with. So if you're a Jets fan, you got to, like you said, they got to feel great. They're getting, they're getting Aaron Rodgers. This just wants to unleash hell. The only problem is the division he's going to has the Buffalo Bills, uh, hopefully an improved Miami Dolphins team if Tua is healthy. Uh, because that was a completely different team when Tua was not playing. And and it's just amazing that we're even saying this right now because we didn't think Tua was going to be there, but uh, here we are. So um, that's all we got right now as far as free agency is concerned. Those two stories that just will not die, will not quit, keep on going, and we're here for it. So, uh, Alex, any big thoughts for the rest of the weekend? Stay tuned. March Madness is upon us. I mean, I know everybody is watching it. Everybody's got their brackets filled out. So enjoy the weekend. Enjoy college basketball. All right, gang. That's going to do it for us this week. We will be back, of course. And thanks for uh, subscribing. If you have, if you haven't subscribed, go ahead and hit that button. Don't miss any episodes. And for Alex, I'm Lou. Peace.